Welcome to Taiwan Brief, news and views on issues impacting Taiwan. I'm Donovan Smith in Taichung, Taiwan. Welcome to the program. All right, so this is part one of a four-part series on troubles facing the Chinese Communist Party, which, of course, their stability has considerable impact on Taiwan's future. So let's dive in. Now, predicting the fall of China's Chairman Xi Jinping, or even more dramatically, the entire Chinese Communist Party, has been ongoing since the early years of the party, all the way back to the 1920s, and in Xi's case, not long after taking the reins of power. Now, right now, their grip on power looks fairly solid and largely unassailable. Look at that change. Now, when I lived in China in the early 2000s, the people I knew and met were optimistic about their own future and China's. Things were moving in a positive direction. The country was opening up, communications and media were slowly liberalizing, the party was interfering in their lives less and less, and the economy was booming. Sure, there were things they weren't happy about, like corruption, pollution, and the excessive and capricious bureaucracy. But people understood that they were in a period of transition from a much darker and impoverished past and that all things considered, it was going relatively smoothly. Now, Taiwanese had a similar outlook in the late 80s and the 90s, by the way. But is this still true today? Is there still a sense that the future is bright? Or that the CCP is generally getting things right and moving the country in the right direction? Are people as forgiving of the party's darker aspects as they once were? How does the public feel about Chairman Xi's tightening of the screws on society, reversing the previous trend. Now, glimpses of negative opinions occasionally escape from China, but how widespread is this discontent? Now, we don't and can't know for sure. China is a massive country, and there is no way to be certain what the majority of the 1.4 billion people there of all sorts of backgrounds, viewpoints, and circumstances are thinking. I spent most of my time in the middling city of Hefei in Anhui province, and also a bit of time in Shanghai, and that is not necessarily a good representative of, say, what people are thinking in the countryside of Hunan province. So it's big and complicated. However, and while it's not like we can conduct accurate polling to, or see what issues they're voting on, it is possible to gauge the full, and it is impossible to gauge the full extent of the situation, but there are signs that not all is well. Now, one phrase often comes up when discussing overturning an established order, slowly, then suddenly. In other words, a long, slow burn of accumulating issues that erupts into an out-of-control prairie fire often sparked by a botched handling of a crisis or multiple crises. And by the way, the reference to prairie fire is specific to the Chinese Communist Party. They'll understand the Chinese phrase I'm referring to. Now, there are two broad possibilities. Either that long, slow burn hasn't reached a critical point, or the people will more or less continue to have confidence in the CCP, even in the face of multiple crises. Now, that is very possible. 
The other possibility is that these conditions do exist and faced with multiple crises will lose faith in the party state and take mass action against it. If they do, the possibilities range from a failed series of mass uprisings like Tiananmen that the party can eventually bring under control, the party itself fearing for its future and sacrificing Xi Jinping, or in the most extreme case, the CCP is entirely overthrown. Now this first piece, or part one, examines some of the structural problems that could undermine confidence in the CCP's abilities should a major crisis or crises arise. The next piece will examine whether that long, slow burn situation of popular discontent might already be in place. Finally, we'll follow up with the current crises and with just some of the shockingly long list of potential massive crises that the CCP could be faced with in the very near future. Now, the CCP rules through a boot heel and benefits approach with the boot heels being repression, social control, and relentless propaganda. The primary, quote, benefits are ethno-nationalistic pride at restoring China's so-called glory and rising incomes and opportunities. Though, as the economy, income growth, and the creation of new opportunities have been slowing, more social reforms have been implemented to further the sense that things are improving and the party is acting in their interests. The CCP excels on the boot heel side of the equation and invests heavily in maintaining its massive internal security and surveillance infrastructure. It's the benefits side where the CCP is far weaker, which we'll examine in the next article. But fundamentally, Neither the boot heels or benefits are of much use in a crisis if the entire structure has lost the confidence of the people. This potentially huge vulnerability has already shown itself in the CCP's bureaucratic inflexibility, ineptitude, and colossal failures in long-term planning. Now, ironically, these are the very things that the CCP portrays itself to the world as excelling at in spite of considerable evidence to the contrary, as they make their case that their system is better than messy democracies. Now, the examples of the CCP party state handling shocks poorly abound and come out in examples like responses to natural disasters, the ham-fisted response to the rise of the pandemic in Wuhan, the clumsy handling of the African swine flu causing spiraling costs of a primary food staple, and the totally avoidable mass power outages last fall. Almost always the pattern is the same. First, long-term planning fails to prepare for, or actually creates, an avoidable or otherwise manageable crisis. As the crisis becomes clear, the initial response is confused, muddled, and botched as no one is willing to take any risks or act outside of the rulebook or without direct orders from the top. Finally, orders come down from on high, usually too late, and they're almost always brutalist and extreme, often compounding the damage along the way. By far the most extreme example of this is the response to protests and discontent in Xinjiang 
over conditions created by the CCP itself, or East Turkestan rather than Xinjiang. Initially, the the response was confused and inept. And then, under Chairman Xi, orders came from on high to enact the most brutalist and extreme so-called solution possible to the problem. Genocide. Now, you are also probably well aware of how that pattern played out in response to the rise of COVID-19 in Wuhan. But what is less well known is that this pattern has played out repeatedly in response to other crises in the recent past. Last year's mass rolling power outages are a classic example that reminds that today probably is among the many things that weigh on the minds of Chinese when considering the fitness of the regime that rules them. China had plenty of power infrastructure and availability of inputs like coal and natural gas. That wasn't the problem. Now, the government, to tackle safety in mines and pollution, had ordered shut many of the small coal mines, which is, of course, probably a good thing. However, they compounded the, the supply problem when they cut off coal imports from Australia to express political displeasure with Australia after that independent nation had the temerity to call for an investigation into the origins of the pandemic in Wuhan. Now, apparently, no one had thought to add up all the effects of their various policies and actions on the coal supply. But the problem, ultimate, wasn't even the lack of supply. Power is sold at a set state-mandated price, but by tightening supply sources abruptly and not considering the end result in their planning, the price to acquire coal of the right types for their power plants skyrocketed. This meant that the price to create power became far higher than what was being charged to deliver to customers. And the whole system began to break down as power companies faced financial disaster. This created chaos across the country as people's homes went unheated and unlit with winter approaching. Elevators froze between floors. Streetlights went out on busy thoroughfares. And the industrial supply chain was thrown into disarray. In short, the crisis was created by poor long-term planning bureaucratic inflexibility, and ineptitude in responding to the crisis until it was well underway. This example, along with a string of recent similarly mishandled crises, have exposed the fundamental problems of CCP state party state governance. Now the question is, if this pattern continues, and that's what we've been seeing very recently, will the public continue to have confidence in Xi Jinping and the party? And will the party itself continue to have confidence in Xi Jinping? Or will Xi fail in his attempt to secure a third term as chairman at the 20th Communist Party conference later this year? Especially if China is hit with multiple shocks all at once. All right, tune in next time. We'll do part two. These are more basic, long-standing issues. But as we went into in this particular show, The background leading into all the current problems that we're seeing right now has already potentially shaken confidence in the CCP to handle crises. In part three, we will get back to the current crises 
And then in part four, we're going to go into what crises potentially could blow up and really tip this thing into a giant mess for Xi and the Chinese Communist Party. All right, tune in next time. Sean here. As you know, we've been on a little bit of a hiatus. It's been quite busy these days, but now we're kind of back. Things are going to look a little different because we are working on new processes to make it easier for us to produce episodes. So stay tuned and thank you for your support. And don't forget, for more content like this, support us at report.tw.